Welcome to the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast, episode number 57. My name is Christopher Luft. I'm one of the co-founders of Lima Charlie, and I will be your host. On today's episode, we're going to be sitting down to chat about security research with John Hammond, Principal Security Researcher at Huntress. Thanks for being with us on the show today, John. It's a real honor to have you here. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, I'm very flattered and excited to see what mischief we can make here. <laughs> okay, to get things started and on the off chance that someone listening to this does not know who you are, can you please introduce yourself? Oh, sure thing. Well, hey, uh, hello. My name is John Hammond. I'm uh, one of the security researchers over at a company called Huntress for my day job. Uh, and on the side, when I can squeeze it in, I try to hey create some content, educational training stuff uh, centered around cybersecurity for YouTube. I know it's kind of silly I say I have a YouTube channel, but it's really fun to see that thing grow and, and flourish. And that's just a, a real big part of my life these days. Yeah, I'm a big fan of your channel. It's good technical content. Um, so whenever I prep for a new guest on the show, I always go look at their LinkedIn profile to get an idea of what their career looked like and to see if there's anything interesting to pull from there. One thing I found super interesting about the various experiences and date ranges associated on your profile was it seems that you started your YouTube channel quite a few years before you list any professional experience, all the way back in 2009. Can you give us the backstory on that? What made you start an educational cybersecurity channel back when that really wasn't a thing? Absolutely. And thank you for asking. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I got started, I feel like really, I don't know, cutting my teeth and getting sharp on some of this stuff, whether it's just programming or coding or technology as a whole. Uh, when I was a bit younger, right, you're, hey, man, there's, yeah, there's stuff in the archives, 2009, 2011, like a decade old now. Um, but the thing is, when I was a, a kid, I thought, kind of like a whole lot of others, I think, man, I want to, I want to make video games or I want to be a hacker like I see in the movies. So I Googled and, hey, would just get a research online and think, literally entered the Google search term, how to become a hacker. <laughs> and I think I, uh, I think I stumbled across what was like Eric S. Raymond in his blog post, one of the like free and open source software leaders and all. Um, and his blog post was literally titled how to become a hacker. Uh, but it said, Hey, if you want to get into this thing, you really need to learn some programming you need to learn some scripting at the very least some coding. And they suggested the Python language, the Python programming language. And I thought, well, I'll go Google that. So I went online and uh, was in YouTube, right? Because YouTube had some video tutorials, and that's how I like to learn. Hey, get some visuals and do the show and tell, see a demo. And I thought, okay, this is fun. This is cool. I feel like I'm learning some of it, but I really wanted to test myself. And you know, you hear one of the best ways to see if you've really mastered a skill or become very good at it is if you can try to teach others. So thought, well, I'll record some video tutorials. And they were very bad. They were awful. The early days, you can see me like putting semicolons in Python syntax or like commenting out code block braces, stuff you shouldn't do. <laughs> but it was just a lot of fun. And uh, that's really what got the ball rolling is thinking, hey, how can I, one, give back to the community the same way that I've learned, two, sort of, hey, test myself and see how can I share and disseminate this info, and three, really get this feedback loop of, hey, the community saying, you know what, hey, you could have been able to run this faster if you used this syntax or you tried this technique or you used this trick here and there, it would have been much better. And there are hate comments here and there, you know, as it's is the internet, but it's really, really cool when you get sort of constructive criticism and great feedback to improve yourself and to everyone around you. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and you're like a little over 600,000 followers now, which I know on YouTube, it's really hard. Our channel, I think, is just approaching 500. 
did you have any idea that it would become this this huge thing, which I'm sure is a big part of your life now? No, I'll admit it was never something that I thought would, I don't know, flower into what it is now. Um, but hey, it's a, it's a blessing and I'm fortunate and I'm having a whole lot of fun with it. It's really surreal because when we go to events, you know, kind of IRL get togethers, whether it's a trade show or a conference, like we were just at Black Hat and DEF CON. And it's just super duper sweet when some folks will want to come up and say hello, say, hey, thank you so much for the content that you share. It's helped me get into this industry. And that is really, really fulfilling. So I'm just so happy about that. And I'm hey ready to keep it rocking. Awesome. And do you have any advice for people or companies out there that want to create content and try and grow their following on YouTube? Ooh. Oh, that is a super good question. Um, hmm. I hear consistency is a good one. Yeah. I feel like I have a bad answer. <laughs> I think, I don't know. Uh, uh, let me add the disclaimer, if I may, that it's hard and it, it's harder than it is. It's harder now than it ever was because the algorithm is already in place. So it's a bummer because, hey, it's really, really hard to get some of that discoverability. Hey, the machine that is YouTube or Twitch or Twitter or Facebook or TikTok or whatever is naturally just going to kind of promote the bigger players that have already established some sort of audience and community, and yours might be really slow to start. Um, so if you can do some sort of <laughs> guerrilla marketing is probably what I call it, but hey, slap it on Reddit. Hey, share it in Discord. Try to get it in front of folks' eyeballs. Um but the core of the matter, the, really, again, what I would consider boring as the answer, but is the right answer, do it because it's fun. Do it because you love it. Do it because the passion is there. Because that consistency is key, like you mentioned, you're going to have to do it a lot. So make sure it's something that you really enjoy and are having fun with. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, so again, from your LinkedIn profile, I noticed from 2018 to 2020, you were a curriculum developer and, and instructor for the DOD Cybercrime Center a red team cyber operator for the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, and a cybersecurity content developer for the United States Department of Defense. How did that string of opportunities come by, and was the experience of working in each one of those departments or agencies similar, or did they each have a flavor of their own? Yeah. Uh, man, interesting story there, if I may, because, hey, uh, so yeah, in the beginning, in the early days, I tried to get my feet wet learning some of the stuff with more of the programming and the coding aspect, just finding things online. Uh, I really wasn't until I got into my undergraduate education that it's shifted to sort of more of the security aspect. And that will lead into, uh, I know, these sort of career selections in a moment. Because uh, the thing is, I attended the United States Coast Guard Academy. So one of the, the United States military institutions like Annapolis, the Naval Academy, or West Point, the Military Academy, Air Force Academy, blah, blah, blah. Um, and you know, hey, the military might say, hey, it's really cool. You can build this thing. You can make something. But can anyone break it? Uh, they care more about the security of a software applications, programs that they use for their day-to-day -day stuff. It's got to be battle-tested, right? Um, so that opened the door for Capture the Flag, and that opened the door for hey, learning about vulnerabilities and exploits and CVEs and try to hey, get into the environment, in the landscape. I'll admit, I did not graduate the Coast Guard Academy. I got myself on the naughty list and, uh, hey, hey, got to move on to some bigger and better things. But got to, uh, hey, check the box for the clearance for the time and go make buddy-buddy and rub elbows and shoulders with some of the Department of Defense folks. So kind of a springboard leaving the Coast Guard Academy was to go really teach 
at the Department of Defense Cyber Training Academy. So really flattered because then I could still work with a lot of the peers and colleagues that I had because they had to take a lot of those classes. Um, and maybe at least some of the shining stuff that I got to do at the Coast Guard Academy for my own progression helped really make a, a foot in the door there. Um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I was a g contractor. So, hey, no longer active duty, but still kind of part of the party. And it's a balancing act because it's really enjoyable to put something together and call it your own. But it is being a teacher. And, and folks that know, right, absolutely understand there's really fulfilling, great work in there. But sometimes it can be pretty tiring when, I don't know, folks just aren't engaged, the class isn't interested, and you're kind of like riding a unicycle trying to juggle, keep folks awake. Um <laughs> uh, and if you're staying late, helping folks that just don't get it, uh, and I don't know, maybe they don't know the difference between a mouse and the keyboard. It's like, man, we, we, we got to improve here. We got to do some better work. So I thought, you know what? I want to be on the keyboard. I want to be an operator. I want to do it for real. Uh, so I moved from there to the Defense Threat Reduction Agency under the guise of the Red Team Cyber Operator. Uh, that was supposed to be hot, flashy, flying, doing spooky, squirrely stuff, high octane energy. Um, but I'll admit, and I don't know if this is going to be a bummer for some folks, but there was a lot of slow moving red tape and I don't know, just bureaucratic government, military slowness. Uh, and that's okay. Hey, uh, we know it's the nature of the beast, but when I was kind of sitting in the skiff, no windows, you know, closed door room with just waiting for the clock to run out, sitting on our thumbs, I thought, all right, this isn't everything I thought it would be. Let's move on. Um, and those are, I don't know, the two kind of pedestals and cornerstones of some of that growth and that side of the industry, public sector versus private sector. Uh, but at some point, Kyle Hansloven, he's the CEO over at Huntress, uh, my day job now, uh, he had reached out and said, hey, you know what, John, we just landed Series A, we're having a ton of fun, moving and shaking, do you want to join the party? Um, and I'm so glad I did. That's been uh, a wild ride and incredible work. And that's, that's it for me for now. I've been there for three years, as last week, which is crazy and wild. But Huntress is home. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. And it's, you never know what's coming next. And the oh, adventure yeah. is like Agreed. the whole thing. Yeah. So what I like to do with guests on the show after we get a chance to learn about what you do and your history is to deep dive a topic based around your expertise. Uh, we've never talked specifically about security research on the show. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to dive into this one a little bit. Totally. Absolutely. Okay, so we'll start with the basics at a very high level. What is security research and what are the goals? Ooh. Super good question. Because I don't know, it's it's hard to really capture, oh, the definition of security research in my mind. Uh, I really think, you know what, you're you're in the trenches, you're in the front lines trying to keep up with, it's hard to say an ever-changing landscape, blah, 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 or sophisticated threat actors. I think we all know that's not exactly always true, <laughs> but it's, hey, knowing the trade craft, it's knowing the tricks and techniques, knowing how we can sort of defend forward against some of those adversaries, um, and trying to get clever and get creative and see, okay, what, how can we really bring the fight to the fight? Um, but whether that's, hey, digging into new vulnerabilities or chasing exploits or doing incident response, it's all of the above, uh, and however you're interested in, and engaged with it that can bring the most impact to the industry. Okay. And as you mentioned, you're a principal security researcher at Huntress. Uh, what is Huntress and what do they do and what does a typical day look like for you? 
Yeah, thank you. I don't by any means mean to turn this into a commercial, but but uh, Huntress uh, is my day job, and they are a managed security platform. So, hey, trying to provide cybersecurity for the 99% is a hey, cheesy slogan and catchphrase, we say, for the economy, for industry like small mid-market businesses. That's why we tend to say the 99%. Folks that are below the cybersecurity poverty line and hey there's room for improvement so we'll do um edr uh, endpoint detection response in a managed fashion so mdr however buzzwords you want to throw in there um looking at hey whether hackers are maintaining persistence with implants or beacons or hooks and claws in their environment and then what will they do next ransomware will kind of tripwire with ransomware canaries or manage antivirus like windows defender freely available and accessible we can at least bring that visibility across all the different tenants and organizations that you might control for like a managed service provider or msp and thankfully enough hey we brought in an arm for security awareness training and are now expanding to mdr for microsoft 365 to get a little bit more cloud and email visibility and telemetry but Blah, blah, blah. I don't mean to be rambling. <laughs> um, as to what I tend to do, I'm part of the front operations team uh, and the research and development sort of branch within that. Uh, and as a security researcher, again, really fortunate. Hey, John, they, they say just go do what's fun and interesting and really makes a difference. Um, <laughs> so I can help out with some of the analysts that are in the dashboard day in and day out hunting day trying to see what alerts might come through, digging into malware, triage, reverse engineering. That's a lot of fun. Um, well, I try to build out some of the security awareness training curriculum. Um, and I also really, really like to take point when there is a new rapid response initiative is kind of what we say internally, where we see, hey, there's a new vulnerability, there's a new zero day, there's a new threat. How can we get on top of it? Can we get some of the messaging out? Can we start to dig through what the code is? What's the techniques and tradecraft? Um, and that has been really, really uh, a blast because, hey, we try to stay in the front for Print Nightmare or Hafnium when Microsoft Exchange was popping off for, I don't know, CVE 2023-40444 or Felina or Move It transfer exploitation. There's a whole lot there, um, but that's some of the most fun work in my mind because you really feel like, all right, now we're part of the party and the adrenaline's going. Yeah, that actually was very similar to my next question, What, which was, uh, if you're working away and you find a zero day that's being actively exploited, what happens then? And how is that information used to fight bad actors? Yeah, so we tried to throw together a little bit of a, a war room, right? Whether it's in Zoom or a, a Slack huddle, uh, we'll try to divide and conquer with some folks taking some of the reverse engineering work, some of the tradecraft, some of the cutting up the code, and how can we kind of message this out to our partners, whether it's through email, whether it's through blogs, whether it's through videos, how can we recreate some of it so that they can better detect it in their environments? Um, and maybe putting our hacker hat on sort of acting as the adversary, can we recreate a proof of concept just so we can validate the patches work so that we can ensure we have the visibility of detection efforts there. Uh, so we run in all different directions, but it's really, really cool to see the community come together on that and not even just, oh, within Huntress, but across the industry. Uh, I'm a huge fan of like Twitter and now X or whatever, but uh, Mastodon, all the InfoSec community, you can see really incredible people start to share great work and great research. And we're standing on the shoulders of giants all the time. And it's all of us <laughs> standing yeah, on each other's shoulders. 
that's one of my favorite things about this industry actually is the way, the openness and sharing information and, and really that sense of mission that we all share, right? We all have jobs to do in companies we want to see succeed, but there seems to be a bigger mission that we all kind of align with. Uh, it takes a village. <laughs> yeah. Next one I have for you is, uh, how do you stay up to date with the latest threats and vulnerabilities? Are there resources or platforms that you recommend for others to stay informed about emerging threats? Mm. Um, I'll admit, yeah, sure. A little bit of Twitter or X and, and Mastodon and see some of the feeds from folks there. Um, I am really partial to Bleeping Computer. One of the online news outlets uh, shares a lot of great research or great articles surrounding what could come out of the woodwork. And Reddit, I know it sounds weird and crazy, but uh, I don't know, keep in touch with DEFCON groups. Hey, track it with some of the friends across the industry, maybe Slack channels, great workspaces together. It's really just being a part of the network and being part of the community. You can kind of keep a pulse on what's happening and when. I think you might have hinted at uh, what your answer is going to be here earlier, but is there any research that you've done that stands out when you look back across your career? And if so, can you describe what the process of discovery felt like? And what the impact it had? Oh, yeah. Oh, man, there are, there are a lot of really cool and fun stories. But I think probably the one that's topical and uh, maybe a lot of folks will know or recognize was MoveIt, uh, the MoveIt transfer exploitation. Um, so that took part uh, in May, or at the very end of May, over the kind of the Memorial Day weekend for 2023. And it's crazy. I think now we're over in August and folks are still talking about it like two, almost three months later. because. The threat actor, Klopp, I think the the ransomware gang that sort of put their flag in the ground and claim responsibility has been slowly leaking and sort of dripping out the victims that have been compromised. Um, but they didn't encrypt any of the file system. They didn't drop ransomware in the classic sense. They just stole data and used that for extortion and blackmail. Um, and it's been crazy to see just that impact and scale and size and severity of the thing just sort of slowly expand that keeps the news cycle alive which is wild to me but i'm sorry no to the to the personal points is like hey how did that come to light uh we were tracking hey what had happened and we were looking at the security advisories and it's funny i try to in my mind like treat a lot of knowledge bases or security articles and updates as a little bit of a capture the flag, as a little bit of a game, a little bit of, hey, how can we learn more about this with the description and maybe a binary to download, like a free trial of the program. Um, and you got a little bit of a point system there. I don't know what to say, the CVSS score, or anything that might express, you know, it's local file inclusion or there's a buffer overflow or SQL injection, blah, blah, blah. Um, so move it transfer exploitation started off with a SQL injection, not to get super nerdy for folks listening in, but that meant manipulating the database. Uh, and we were able to grab a copy of the software. It's um, .NET or a good portion of it. So we could use tools to sort of decompile that down. And we would stay up late, <laughs> crazy late, had to drink Monster and Red Bull and just ordering a pizza to try to uncover what the heck this thing was. And I felt really determined on that one. I was like, I, I want, I want to go find out how this all came together. Like we have the pieces and breadcrumbs of the attack chain from IIS logs or artifacts that are left on the file system that we can see from victims. And maybe we can kind of piece together what happened, where and when and how. So we kept beating it up. I uh, kept trying hard, banging our head against the wall. And I was really, really pleased. I think you know, hey, we were kind of first to the punch to say, look, we fully recreated the attack chain. 
um, from SQL injection to authentication bypass to remote code execution. So ultimately get the same access that the original adversary did. And with that, we, we were so versed in a lot of the source code there that we found other SQL injection vulnerabilities where you could fully recreate the attack chain just with a different entrance or open door. But we got to work hand in hand with the vendor progress who was sweet and understanding and transparent. And that was just really great. Um, and kudos to them. I know it's a hard thing to live through, but I think they took it the best that they could, uh, and did the right things when they had to. So, uh, I'm sorry. I know I'm rambling again, but uh, move it was one of the ones that I really felt a lot of pride in. Cause I feel like, yes, we're, we're leading the charge and, uh, we got the industry to track this thing more than they did. I feel bad screaming and shouting like I'm ambulance chasing, but I know, hey, when we start to see an impact unfold, that we were making the right call and we got to bring attention to it and shine the spotlight. Yeah, I remember covering that one on the show. It seemed like the potential uh, impact for that was huge. You know, yeah, a, yeah. encrypted file storage used by a bunch of government organizations. It's a little, little scary. <laughs> um. Security researchers can sometimes look like an attacker to organizations or products that they are investigating. How can researchers operate in a way that does not create the kind of friction that this can cause? Hey. Maybe another, forgive me, maybe another bad or boring answer, but I, I think it's a lot of that communication and transparency. Um, when would we stumble across vulnerabilities, like, hey, when we found something that can very easily be exploited, we'll try to send off an email and try to be as, like, respectful and polite and courteous as we can. We say, hey, we're not hackers. We're not looking for money. We just want to do the right thing, raise awareness and do responsible disclosure. We want to make sure you're aware of what this is and what can be done. Uh, is there any chance we could just hop in on a call? And maybe that's, oh, whoops, already after we found something, like we just tripped over. <laughs> but normally they're receptive to that. If at any point you're able to say, hey, can I ahead of time, can I maybe pregame in this thought, like, I would like to test your software. I, I would like to dig into it and see uh, what flaws or weaknesses or vulnerabilities they might be, all in good faith, because uh, that's what we're doing this for. That, I think, goes a long way when you can have that transparency and communication with the vendor so you don't look like some hey, crazy criminal blowing stuff up. <laughs> yeah, one of my colleagues said it was like um, showing up to your house and seeing somebody with a crowbar on the side of the <laughs> side of the house and saying, oh, don't worry, I'm, I'm a security researcher. I'm just checking <laughs> to make sure your windows are locked up. I'm here to help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any advice for any aspiring security researchers out there, things that maybe you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? Yeah. Um, we'll see. I, I know I've already kind of beat the dead horse on, you know, make sure it's fun. It's your passion, et cetera. But, uh, one that I would love to try to mix in is maybe another boring answer, but really true here is, Hey, take notes, like write it down, like make sure that you've got sort of your own archive catalog and library of stuff that you've already dug into, whether it's a blog post, whether it's on GitHub or I don't know, a video, it doesn't matter. Something that you, for one thing, can share for yourself because you'll want to be able to look back and see what commands did you run? How did you uncover one thing or another? And you have that reference, but maybe spinning off of that is share it. Like if, if you're comfortable with it, you know, put that out online and, and give it to the world so everyone else can learn just as well. 
uh, you kind of hit two birds with one stone because you're helping yourself and others uh, if you show your work and take notes and write things down. Yeah, and really build that community feel and get involved with the network. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the last question I have for you today is one I ask of everybody on the show. Uh, what do you envision for the future of cybersecurity and how do you see the field evolving in the next few years? Boom. Well, hey, I don't have a, a crystal ball. I can't see the future, not Nostradamus, so I uh, can't say with a thousand percent certainty. But maybe I'm a little bit of a pessimist here or just a glass half empty. I don't know. I, I tend to think we're just going to see the same stuff. <laughs> uh, phishing emails aren't going to go away. Ransomware is not going to go away. Blah, blah, blah. Cryptocurrency miners, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I know, look, I, I tend to focus a little bit on the endpoint, and there are a lot of great conversations in cloud and CICD and DevOps and AI and machine learning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If I may say, none of those are the silver bullets or a great new revolution that changes the face of technology in the industry forever. Maybe kind of in a, in a, in a sense, but it's not like fixing the problem. It's just moving the problem elsewhere, just sort of spreading it out. <laughs> So it's going to be the same cat and mouse game in a little bit of a different arena. Uh, and I don't know if that changes things in, in a crazy big way. That's always funny. And you know, some of those like reporters or journalists and headlines that want to get your predictions for the next year, 2024. I always feel so bad. I have this antithetical response of it's going to be the same stuff, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's not the first time I've had that answer. Actually. Oh, good. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you look at the last 40 years, I think uh, statistically you're probably uh, going to be right. So awesome, John. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy guy and uh, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, hopefully we'll run into each other again somewhere. Well, hey, thank you so much, Chris. And absolutely right back at you. This was a, this was a treat. And um, yeah, would love to see you at another event. I know we caught each other at Black Hat. And uh, for folks tuning in, hey, we hope to see you there and uh, we'll keep the party going. Awesome. Okay. Take care, sir. Thank you. And that concludes episode number 57 of the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast. If you have any feedback or ideas for future topics, please send an email to defenders at limacharlie.io. You can access the intel we talk about on the show in real time and join the conversation on the Lima Charlie community Slack channel at slack.limacharlie.io. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with someone or leaving a rating or review. And don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you on the next episode.